So he's a good, good father. Well, just an update on um, driving church this morning was incredible in that the weather was was great. Um, the coolness, was it wasn't that cool. It was just perfect to be outdoors, and, and it was perfect in the cars. It, it was just a really, really nice day. It's amazing how weather dictates how you and I do certain things. Like when it's cold, you know, we put on more clothes. Um, we wrap up, or when it's warm, we get into shorts and tank tops, and, and we do stuff like that. It's amazing how an environment like that, when it changes, that we are forced into a change to kind of match that environment. We can go against that environment if we want to, but we, we definitely <clears throat> definitely adjust to it. Um, I recently it downloaded a new um, weather app. I just wanted to see, you know, I just wanted to see a new weather app. So I, I downloaded this weather app and it's a weather app that actually takes you back in history. And so I'd heard people say that, you know, this was very rare for us to be this cold this time of year and, and all that kind of stuff. Well, when I went back in history, I found out that about every six or seven years we have a cold May and it's kind of like a cycle in that particular regard. And we just happen to be in that sixth or seventh year. But, you know, most of the time it's in the 70s and the 80s this time of year, Mother's Day. And, um, and you know, that's, that's a good thing. Um, <clears throat> recently, well, within the past two months, my son has needed shoes. He told us that. So when this, you know, lockdown began and they shut all the stores, um, my son needed shoes and we just had no place to go. I know Walmart was open, but he's a teenager and we needed something a little bit better quality than the Walmart shoes. No offense to Walmart, but just a little more um, substantial because he'll wear them for a long period of time. And so we, we waited and waited and waited and he would remind us that he needed shoes, that his shoes were too small um, and they were just slap worn out. My daughter's was the same way. I didn't know that until um, this week when we were talking about possibly going to South Carolina to get him some shoes because they're open. So we, we were going to go down to South Carolina and spend our money there uh, to get him some shoes, and she said she needed some shoes. Um, but <clears throat> yesterday, we decided um, to go to Dick's because Dick's was open. And so we went to Dick's and we bought him a pair of tennis shoes. And he has a brand new pair of tennis shoes. I'm glad to say they fit. Um, he loves them and he's wearing them right now. So um, it's amazing how someone that communicates to you over and over and over again like that kind of gets your attention. And then my daughter spoke up and said, my tennis shoes have has holes in them, which we Really, I didn't really know that. I guess her mother did. Because mothers keep up with stuff like that. Mothers are good at keeping up with stuff like that. So <clears throat> so we actually ordered hers online and hers are coming in shortly. So with that in mind, I want you to know that we are in the second part of our God the Father series. And yes, I know we have a God the Father series on Mother's Day. Yes. Well, I can't talk about God the Mother because that doesn't exist in the Bible. It just doesn't exist in the Bible. I know there's some people that, that say feminine and all this kind of stuff, but it doesn't. In Scripture, God has chosen to communicate as a father and as a son and as a spirit. They're three in one. It's a trinity. Um, the father is in a male um, <clears throat> a male gender. 
the son, Jesus the son, is in a male gender. He's not a woman. The spirit is really not male or female um, in scripture. It's just, I guess, neuter, if you will, if you will. But um, God is spirit, but he talks of himself as a father, a son, and a spirit. Not ever really in scripture as a mom. So the God the Father series on Mother's Day is kind of interesting. And last week we talked about how God wants you and how he loves you and how he wants to be with you. This week we're going to talk about something else. So if you will turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, I will also say that this God the Father series is also an introduction to Ephesians. We'll be studying Ephesians after this series, and so um, it's an introduction to that. But nonetheless, turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1. So Ephesians chapter 1, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm sitting trying to listen for the page turning, but I, I can't really hear it because you are in your house and I'm at the church and there's not two-way, you know, sound going on here. So nonetheless, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. And he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, in which he has blessed us in the beloved. So, God, the Father, according to the scripture, chose you and me. So one of the roles of God the Father is that he chose you and he chose me. <clears throat> what we often forget, or we don't hear often in this discussion, in a very prominent way, is that God chose us in Christ. He chose us in Christ, it says here. In Christ, God chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He chose us. God the Father chose us in Christ. In other words, <clears throat> God doesn't choose anybody outside of Christ. The Bible clearly teaches that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by him. So God the Father chooses in Christ everyone that has chosen Christ, to be their savior is how that works. You, you see, <clears throat> when we decided to go get Quinn some shoes, um, you can actually go online to see what shoes they have available in the store before you get there. They're already in that store. And so you can actually look at, at now you can look at different stores and go to that store and choose a shoe that's in that store. I can't choose a, choose a, I cannot talk. I cannot choose a shoe that is in another store that isn't in that one. I can't choose it. So we went there and we chose the shoe and we brought it home. This means that at some point in time before we got there, a truck pulled up, right? And those shoes were dropped off at that store 
so that they would be in that store. This is how this choosing actually works. God chooses us in Christ. He did before the foundation of the world. He chose us in Christ because he knew on this end that anyone that would choose Christ, that would be in Christ, that would start a relationship with Christ, would be in Christ and he would choose them. Let me put it to you a little bit clearer. In John chapter 1 verse 12 it says, But to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, who believed in his name, believed in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now that ties right in with Ephesians. God the Father chose you in Christ, in Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So he chose us to be his children in Christ, his son. He chose us in Christ. We became his children in Christ. It is an amazing thing that God the Father, who loved us, who wanted us, chose us. And we chose to be a part of Jesus, in Jesus, start a relationship with Jesus, and it all works together. Now, the ins and outs of how all this works, I, nobody really has an answer for this. But God chose us in Christ, and we chose God the Father in Christ began that relationship with him, and that is an absolutely amazing thing. This means that everybody that's outside of Christ, everybody that is not in Christ, everybody that hasn't made a decision to accept Jesus as their Savior is not chosen by God the Father. But everybody that has chosen Jesus Christ as their Savior is chosen by God. Now, we can go around which choice came first. It really doesn't matter to me. All I know is that when I was eight years old, I made the decision to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. I asked him to forgive me of my sins. I asked him to be my Savior. And at that point, I was in Christ. This means that before the foundation of the world, God the Father chose me in his Son, Jesus Christ. And that is an amazing thing. He chose us. Now, he didn't just choose us because he wanted trophies. He didn't just choose us because somehow or another he's collecting something. Like, you know, he has this person, this person, this person, and he shows his collection of people that he chose. No, he has a different, a different reason for choosing us in Christ. So notice verse 4, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So he chose us, so that you and I, who received Jesus Christ as his Savior, could actually be holy and blameless. It is through Jesus' blood that I am declared righteous. It is through Jesus' blood that I am declared holy. It is through Jesus' sacrifice and being in him, in salvation in him, that I can now live a life that is holy and blameless before God the Father. He chose us so that we would be holy and blameless before him and in, check this out, in love. This means that God loves us. I know we talked about this last week, but I want to bring this in with love. See, 
love, choosing us in love means that whereas I was saved at eight years old, and I was saved because God loves me, I was also loved enough by God that he did not leave me where he found me. He is taking me somewhere else. He's taking me into a new quality of life. He is transforming me, predestined um, to be transformed into the image of his son, into something greater, into something better, into something that actually has life. I am being transformed. It's an amazing concept. He is not willing to leave me where he found me. Now, this this is different. A lot of people's definition of love is if you accept me or not. Do you accept me the way I am? Yes, but I'm not willing to leave you as you are if you're living in sin. As a pastor, as a pastor, if you are doing something against the word of God, I talk to you about it. You might hear something about it in a sermon. I might talk to you face-to-face -face about it. You might come to me with an issue that you have, and I'm trying to tell you how the scriptures would tell you how to live better. I do not want anybody in my congregation, anybody that listens to my voice, to remain exactly the way they are in that particular sinful environment. I want them to learn the Word of God and progress in holiness and progress in blamelessness and progress in their Christian life so that they can live a better life than being attached to this particular sort of sin. God the Father is the same way. He loves you enough that he is not willing to leave you as you are. You see, that's the difference between a good father and a bad father. A bad father doesn't care what you choose. A bad father doesn't give you parameters. A bad father doesn't tell you um, which way to go. There's a man in our church um, that has told me about his daughter one time, and uh, he kept allowing her to make decisions, make decisions, make decisions. And one day in his truck, she looked at him and said, Dad, you're my dad. You're supposed to make that decision for me. Bingo. The children do not always get to do what they want to do because children do not always choose the best things for them in this life. They do not often choose the best pathways for them in life. But a father sees that and a father tries to direct them into a better day and into a better way, into a, a better way of life. And your father who's in heaven, who is great and awesome, is looking at you today saying, hey, I chose you and I'm glad that you re received my son and that we have a relationship now and that you are my child but I'm not going to leave you where you are in your sin. I am going to try to take you from that into a better day, into a better way of life. So in love, he chooses us. Now, how does he get us from a state of sin to a state of holiness and blamelessness? How does he take us on this transformational journey? How does he take us step-by-step step to predestine us to get us to where he really wants us to be in life abundant? Right? How does he do that? Well, he does it with a not-so-popular word. And that word is discipline. 
he does it with discipline. He does it with discipline. This stay-at-home order that we've had has caused us to stay at home and the idea, whether you agree with it or not, the idea is to keep us from something, right? And so we've, we've had this stay-at-home order. We've, we've had to stay in to keep us for something. Now, it might be confusing as to why we have to stay at home for some, and for some it's not as confusing, and for others they don't know that they're confused. I mean, I don't know where you are, but nonetheless, the stay-at-home order causes you to keep you from something. Discipline is placed into your life to keep you from something, and it's better than a stay-at-home order. Better than a stay-at-home order. In fact, Hebrews would say, the Lord disciplines the ones that he loves, the ones that are his children. And it also goes as far as to say, if the Lord doesn't, if God the Father doesn't discipline you, you are not his child. You're not his child. So I want you to turn in your Bibles as we unpack this, this discipline thing to Hebrews chapter 12. So if you'll turn over to Hebrews chapter 12, <clears throat> and we'll begin reading with verse 5. I'm going to take a quick water drink. My throat is dry for some reason. I'm not sure why. All right. So this is what it says. Verse 5, Romans chapter 12. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son... Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not, not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. God disciplines you and me for our good. And God disciplines me so that we can share in his holiness. He has taken us from unholiness to holiness. He disciplines us for our good. Now look at this passage a little bit. <clears throat> Back to verse 5. I want you to notice that there's different levels of discipline in this passage. First of all, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. That particular word for discipline comes from a word that means means training. Training. It means education. It means you are taught something in the discipline, okay, in the correction. So that's what that word means. So that's kind of a light. What is God trying to teach you in this? What is... God trying to show you in this? How is he trying to make you better in this? So that's one level of discipline. Here's another one. Check this out. Nor be weary when reproved by him. Now that word for reproved actually means a light that shines on your soul to, re, 
deals something that's wrong that you need to deal with. In other words, it's a word that says God convicts you, God makes you feel guilty about something so that you will change. He impresses upon your heart with feelings that you need to change this. He does this through the word of God, or he does this through circumstances that causes you to drop to your knees and pray. Lord, what do I need to change? Give me some strength to go through this, but what do I need to change? So he shows you this. So that's a second level of, of discipline. So you have this training right here, right? And then you have like, you know, he shines a light. He convicts you so that you can repent and, and get back on with your Christian life and holiness and blameless. But then there's another level. And we don't like too much. <clears throat> Verse 6 says, the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. That's the training, that's the correction, training correction, right? And chastises every son whom he receives. This word chastise means a flogging, a whipping, a whipping. Now, have, have any of you ever got a whipping? Yeah. I got my fair share when I was growing up. My dad, my dad, he, he whipped me. He never beat me, never beat me. But I got my fair share of spankings. In fact, um, there was a time in school in fourth grade that my dad told me that if um, I got in trouble again at school, that he would come up there personally and give me a spanking. Now, I'm not sure how all that would have worked out, but I was scared of it. And so there was one day, and I don't want to go into the details of this, there was one day that I was sent to the principal's office, and it was after dad had said that to me. And I was very afraid that he was going to come and give me a spanking. Not to give you the details, and I understand how, but I talked my way out of getting that spanking. And I was so relieved that she was not going to call my dad, wasn't going to call my parents, wasn't going to call anybody, and that it would just be between us. And so I was very thankful because I don't like, I didn't never like the spanking. I didn't walk home and say, hey, dad, you know, I haven't been spanked in a while. Um, why don't we go to my room and you get your belt out? And I, I just think I need one. I, I never did that. I bet you never did that either. So we don't necessarily like the, the discipline at that level, but here's what that does. That creates a, a fear and a reminder that there is a way not to live and there's a way to live. And if we live this particular way and continue to go down this path, that there will be a scourging. There will be a, a very painful very painful level of discipline because God is not willing to leave you where you are. He's not going to allow you to continue to go down a pathway of sin as his child, a pathway of destruction. And if you get too far, God will take you out. He will take you out. Scriptures are very clear. And so when the times of trials comes, when the times of this sort of discipline comes, you really need to do some soul searching and change. Figure out what you need to Repent of and change because he's very serious about making you holy. You see, you and I are still sinners. We are still sinners. We still are in need of God to correct us and God to put us back on the right path. So this passage says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't regard it lightly. If it is coming your way, take it seriously. If we think in scripture of, of people that didn't take um, God's correction seriously, my mind first goes to the children of Israel. The children of Israel were, were saved out of slavery. 
they saw, you know, the Egyptian army drowned by the Red Sea, but then they got to the wilderness and it was a complaint after a complaint after a complaint after a complaint. And they would complain here and God would judge them and they would repent. And they would complain here and God would judge them and they would repent. And they would complain here and God judge, would judge them and they would repent. Let me submit to you today that when you apologize, when you say you're sorry, that has to come with some type of life change. If you are saying you're sorry and you are not willing to change, if you are saying you're sorry and you just go right back to that sin, that is called manipulation. You say you're sorry because this is just the way I am and I just can't get out of this sin. So you say you're sorry with no intent of changing at all. If you do that with God the Father, he's going to continue to try to get your attention. And the judgments will be worse and worse and worse because he is not willing to leave you where you are. When we say we're sorry, when we confess our sins, we're telling God, I'm sorry for what I did. I know there's a better way, way to live and I'm wanting to change. Help me change into a better way of living. So the children of Israel never did that. And so when the 10 spies came back, they finally complained for the very last time and God judged them and said, you will not enter into the promised land. You will not be able to do it. And here's why you don't take it lightly. There is a point somewhere in God's discipline where he says, I'm done. And the plan that I had for you, I am not going to accomplish in your life because you will not leave the sin that I'm trying to remove you from. Man, that is heavy. That is heavy. So if God's dealing with you over some sin, it is time to say, I'm sorry and change. Don't continue to go back to that sin. So this verse continues. It says, nor be weary when reproved by him. When I think of weariness here, a biblical illustration of that would be King David. You know, King David was on a roof. He, he looked at a woman. He desired her. He had her over right? Um, he committed adultery, and then he tried to kill. He did. He didn't try. He actually killed him. He killed the man's, the, the man. He killed the woman's husband and then married her. It was horrible. So a year into this thing, God sends a prophet by the name of Nathan to confront him with his sin, and David confessed his sin, and he asked forgiveness for his sin, with an intent to change. However, God still disciplined him. God still said, I forgive you, but this is what's going to happen as a result of this. So he said his child would die and he would lose his kingdom. So his child died and he lost his kingdom. And the whole time, David thought, this is because I failed morally. This is because I did not do the right thing. And God loves me enough to continue to remind me of that so that I would never do it again. And so he lost his son, lost his kingdom, but then he didn't grow weary. He kept his faith with the Lord and he was restored as king and lived his life serving God the rest of his life. And he never committed adultery again. That is an amazing story. So don't grow weary. Embrace embrace the discipline that God has for you because it's teaching you a better way to live. It's reminding you that the way you were going was wrong and you need to live your life differently. You need to live your life differently. There is pain in discipline. 
There's pain in discipline. Sometimes the pain is because you have to change. Um, I actually, that's part of the pain. Um, it's not just sometimes. Sometimes it's severe pain. Sometimes it's stuff that you have to endure, but God does it to you in order for you to change. There's pain in discipline. Sometimes God's discipline is that he allows you to go down a road. He knows you're going to get to a point where your circumstances, it's going to be discipline enough for you. And so you get to that point and he knows that you're going to come back. And so he just waits and he looks and he waits for you to come home. That is the story of the prodigal son, where the father allows his son to leave, live the way he wants to, because he knows somewhere down the road, he's going to have nothing and his consequences are going to be a discipline enough. And he's going to come home with a new and humble heart. And so when that a younger son came home, the father welcomed him home with open arms because he knew that his son was a changed man and had come home and he was very excited and he loved him. So, so sometimes your consequences, he just allows you to do that. That's part of the discipline so that you learn something. All discipline of God is because he's trying to teach you and disciple you. So discipleship is education, right? Discipleship is education. Um, discipleship is actually protection. You see, sin leads to destruction. Sin leads to destruction. The Bible says that over and over again. Sin leads to destruction. If you're out of the will of God, you're going down a destructive path. So God protects you with this discipline to get you on a right path that pushes you toward life. You see, God the Father, your Father, wants you to succeed. He does not want you to fail. God the Father knows what you need and you don't know what you when you don't know what you need. God the Father also knows what you don't need. And so he doesn't give you the things you you don't need and he gives you the things that you do need and God wants you to be successful in who you are and what he's called you to do. God is not trying to make himself relevant. God is trying to make you holy and blameless. Is what he is trying to do. That is his goal. And discipline pays off. If you notice verse 11, it says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So it's painful now, but in the future... Man, it, it sends you to another level of spiritual maturity. It, it takes you from being spiritually immature to spiritual maturity. It takes you out of the way that you were, your sinful ways, and it allows you to live a better life in a better way with God. Now, a few years ago, <clears throat> I was on a beach, um, Myrtle Beach, actually, on vacation, and I was praying to the Lord, and during that time, I had become enamored with this song by Jars of Clay called Take My World Apart. It was an amazing, amazing song. So on that beach, I prayed to God that if I had created my own world and didn't know it, if I had created my own world and didn't know it, that he would take my world apart and then build me back to the way that he wanted me to be. So after that vacation, as soon as I got back to my church in Kentucky, um, it's almost like God took a wrecking ball and just swung it at me. 
And he kept swinging that wrecking ball and he tore down my entire world. He tore it completely down. You see, it wasn't until that moment that I realized that I was out of God's will in Kentucky. It was something that I wanted to do. I wanted to be a senior pastor. I wanted to go in that direction. I wanted a church. And even though there was people that, that, were, that were saved and there's people that God worked in their lives in spite of me, I was still out of God's will in that particular moment. And so he took that wrecking ball and he took that entire world apart and he brought us back to North Carolina. I thought that maybe even ministry was just something that I had wanted to do. And so I started mowing yards. Um, and then I was remarkably put on staff. It's, it's a story at Center Grove Baptist Church. And it's at Center Grove Baptist Church that God confirmed his call in my life. And he began to rebuild me into the minister that I am today, into the person that I am today. And the person that he wanted me to be. You see, discipline gets your attention. Discipline takes you from your world that you've created and places you in the world that God has created for you. So when it comes to this church, I'm not trying to make a name for myself. I'm trying to make a name for God, for Jesus, for his church, to reach people. It's a total different perspective. Here, I wanted to be a pastor. Here, I am blessed to be one, blessed to be in this position, blessed to be proclaiming God and his church and doing his will. Um, at this location and trying to push people toward him and his glory is a total different viewpoint. It's a more mature viewpoint, actually. Um, discipline is one way that God uses to get our attention. And if you ask him to take your word apart and put it back together, that is a prayer that he will answer. But I warn you, it's a very painful, painful way to go. He uses discipline to get our attention. So here's the question. Here's a couple of questions. How is the father trying to get your attention? Is it an issue with your children? Is it an issue with your friends? Is it an issue with your job? Is it an issue with your spouse? Is it an issue that you had on Facebook? Is it an issue that you had here, here, or here? Is God trying to get your attention? This is what I know. On some level, God in discipline is trying to get your attention. Let me bring this in to this moment. Everybody has been affected by this virus. Everybody has been affected by this virus. I am not saying that God is disciplining everybody that is under this virus. But there are some people that he is using this to teach. He's using this as discipline to help them change. At the, at the, at the level up here, he's trying to teach us how to have faith. At a level here, shining on our hearts like we talked about a few moments ago. Maybe he's trying to show you that you aren't as gracious as you think you are. And you get mad at people that don't think like you. And you treat them ugly and you say ugly things about them. Maybe he's, he's showing you that you don't love people like he loves people. Maybe he's showing you that you don't have faith because you're scared. You're scared to death. You're scared of this. You're scared of that. And so your house is becoming, you know, this is where I'm safe, in my house. And the reason that you're in there is because you're scared. You're, you're fearful. You're living in fear instead of faith. And he's trying to get your attention to tell you, hey, look, the virus is real, but you need to walk through this moment by faith in me. I am in control. 
I am the good father. I am the great father. I am going to love you through this. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to help you through this. Maybe this is a lesson of fate. If you're scared and you're listening to this uh, broadcast right now, whether it's live or later, and you're scared and you've been scared the whole time, maybe God is trying to tell you it's time to quit being scared. It's time to put your faith in God. Faith does not mean that you throw all caution to the wind, but faith does mean that you're not worried about getting something. You're not worried about this. You're not so scared that you are upset at people who are doing what they're doing, and you're staying inside, and it's just controlling you. Your fear and your scaredness is just controlling you. I'm telling you today that God might be having this test for you, this time of discipline. It's not a scourging, but it's just a time where you're shining something on your heart to where you can actually learn how to live by faith during a crisis. It will free you from anxiety. It will free you from worry. It will free you from all this stuff. See, no matter where you are in this virus thing, God is trying to teach you something through it at whatever level that he's coming at you with. So, God the Father chose you and me in Christ so that we would be blameless and holy, predestined to become in the image of his Son. That's an amazing thing. God the Father chose us for that purpose. God the Father 